Hey, it's Teresa. You know, when people use the expression, it's all in your head, it's said rather dismissively. What they mean to say is, you are disconnected from reality. You need to pay more attention to what's going on around you. And yet, as many scientists will tell you, today, more than ever, it really is all in your head. The ancient Greeks knew it. Alchemy and a philosopher slash scientist suggested it's the brain, not the heart, that rules the body. He also believed that the brain's power to synthesize sensations makes it the seat of memories and thought. You may remember the 2011 movie Limitless, in which Bradley Cooper plays a struggling author who chances upon a brain-enhancing drug that allows him to fully use his brain. It leads him to dizzying success and dramatic risks. The movie's premise is based on the myth that we only use 10% of our brains. In fact, we use nearly 100% of our brains almost every day. It's the most complex organ in our bodies. So it's no wonder that companies everywhere are trying to leverage technology to solve some of our biggest neurological challenges, including depression and traumatic brain injury, and also trying to find ways to enhance our quality of life. During the pandemic, companies signed up for meditation app subscriptions or offered employees wearable health tech like Fitbits or Apple Watches to help us calm our minds and encourage wellness and productivity. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. There's now a wide range of new brain-computer interfaces powered by artificial intelligence, promising to help each one of us reach our full cognitive potential. It's an exciting time to be studying and working with the human brain. And frankly, in 2022, not a bad idea at all to be all in your head. This is Disruptors, an RBC podcast. I'm Trin Teresa Doe. In this episode of Disruptors, we're exploring the intersection of neuroscience and technology and the exciting opportunities for Canadian investors and consumers in the fields of neurotechnology, neuromonitoring, and brain-machine or brain-computer interfaces. To help us wrap our heads around this, we've brought in one of Canada's top innovators in this space. Derek Luke is CEO of Interaxin, whose flagship product is Muse, an EEG-powered headband which senses brain activity through meditation exercises. It sends that information to your phone, or tablet, providing real-time feedback and helping users to find focus, create calm, even sleep better. Since Muse launched in 2014, Interaxon has sold more portable EEG devices than any other system in history and has built one of the largest brain data collections in the world. Derek, welcome to Disruptors. Thanks, Teresa. Thanks for having me on your show. So it, it seemed inevitable, given how much time we had to spend alone these past two years, that many of us would turn inward. Now more than ever, we want to understand how our brain works and how we can maximize its ability to make us, quote, calm, fitter, healthier, and more productive, in the words of Radiohead. What have you and Muse learned about how our brains have changed or adapted through COVID? First of all, COVID's been hard on many, many people. And, you know, I just want to acknowledge that. I've had a fairly privileged time through COVID. I've been employed and, and you know, leading Interaxon. We, we definitely saw a fairly large spike in sales on the onset of the pandemic. That lasted three, four, five months where people, you know, leaned into the technology. And then we did see sales go back to the sort of pre-COVID level. And then just recently, we're seeing them start to go up again. What we have noticed is a few things like 
we can monitor when people are meditating. And, and interesting, one of the times we saw a very large spike of people meditating was the 6th of January in uh, 2020. So you've definitely got the ability to go in and, and look at people's behavior in terms of how they adopt meditation. To answer your question uh, in an authentic way here is I think all of us don't know how this pandemic is going to affect us. We know it's been difficult and I think some of the long-term effects are, are still to be seen in terms of people's mental health, people's employment, people's engagement in their work. But what we do is we are collecting data and you know these longitudinal studies become very important in terms of research. And we actually have one of our research partners in a Mayo Clinic looking at the long terms of effect of COVID. So, so you know, we're participating in understanding, but, you know, we'll have to wait to see what these long-term effects are. Yeah, that's fair. And Derek, you took over from Ariel Garden, the co-founder of Interaxin as CEO a few years ago. And back in Scotland, you studied physics and statistics and have worked at a variety of other tech companies, including BlackBerry. What attracted you to neuroscience and specifically, what was the appeal of, of Muse? Ariel is an amazing human being. And I don't think anyone can take anything over from Ariel. She's absolutely amazing. The board in Ariel approached me and said, hey, how would you like to join this little startup? And, you know, my reaction initially was, this is interesting. I thought it was a bit weird, to be honest, this idea of controlling things or, or, or doing things with brainwaves. I mean, we've all watched Back to the Future and, and other, you know, other TV shows that have you know, made fun of such, such technology. So I wanted to try the technology. They had a cupboard. They put me in the cupboard and sat me down and they had a, an Apple Mac behind some, some curtains and some leads coming out of this Apple Mac and onto my head. And they said, look, we want you to relax and meditate and you'll see the weather change. My initial reaction was, no way. This is fake. I've been meditating since I've been eight. And so I know how to meditate. I went in and I started meditating and lo and behold, the weather started to calm down. These very basic animated flash graphics. I I was stunned. I was in disbelief. Like, I didn't believe this. You know, you automatically go away from breathing to thinking, then the weather got bad again. And my next reaction was to check behind the curtain to see if anyone was there, right? But the technology worked. And I I just, this this was such an epiphany for me that be it simple graphics on on the screen of a Mac, that you could actually control something with with your thoughts. So from, from meeting the team, meeting the founders, meeting the board there, I was, I was 100% in. And, you know, that's where the journey started. So my understanding is that Muse is not just monitoring brain activity, but it's providing what's called neurofeedback, although not traditional neurofeedback. Can you briefly describe Muse's approach and how the headbands provide that neurofeedback? You know, the technology, uh, electroencephalogram, EEG, has been about for over 100 years. The technology has been there. Most people can relate to it by seeing pictures of people sitting down and having lots of wires coming out of their head. That's essentially EEG, and it's it's used clinically in full-cap systems that are fairly expensive and used in medical situations for, you know, things for looking at epilepsy to whether people are brain dead or neurofeedback for, for treating various conditions under the supervision of a physician. 
So the technology has been about for a, a long time. What was unique about Muse is that we made it portable and easy to self-administer and created experiences that people could relate to. So the hardware itself is not that complicated. It's a voltmeter, right? It's, it's a very sophisticated voltmeter. It has a, a sophisticated processor in it. It can handle a lot of data and do oversampling. But at its fundamental heart, the Muse headband is a voltmeter. And, and sorry, what is a voltmeter for those of us? Sorry about that. A voltmeter <laughs> is something that an electrician would use for checking the, the voltage or how charged a battery is. Right, so that's that's what a volt is, a tool that an electrician might use. Uh, very similar to what might be used for uh, EKG for measuring people's hearts. So a very similar technology. The the challenge with EEG measuring brain waves, opposed to measuring cardio signal, is about a thousand times smaller. And there's a lot of noise in the body. There's electrical signals that you measure using a, using the muse. And your body generates lots of them. Every time you blink or you look left or you or you you grit your teeth or you move your head or you move your arm, you, you create electrical signals that are very noisy. What our technology does is it can see below that and it uses various techniques for doing it. It, uses, it can eliminate artifacts that are generated by the body and it can do oversampling to get in and see them. So that's the physical signal that you're measuring. Where the technology really comes alive is when you can pair it with a mobile phone. The mobile phones today have tremendous processing power that wasn't available even 10, 20 years ago. And then the other thing is a massive cloud infrastructure that you can then take that data and use essentially supercomputers to analyze the data. And what we do is, is everyone, everyone knows the buzzword artificial intelligence. Everyone has an artificial intelligence solution for everything. But what we use a self-supervised learning, a, a machine learning technique. We, we use an off-the-shelf Google tool called TensorFlow Analysis that makes it very easy to do. And what we can do there is build classifiers. So what we can do is we can actually look at one brain state and compare it to another brain state. So in the case of meditation, like the brain states we're looking at is one where you're focused, right? We, we, we encourage people to focus on their breath, but you can look at a single point or do a mantra, but you're focused on a single task. And then what you've got is like, we're all familiar that you start thinking about what you're going to have for dinner or did you pick something up from the groceries? So your brain can start to multitask in, in many ways. So what we're doing is we're training that brain muscle to stop people multitasking and bring it onto a single point of focus, right? Or be in the zone in terms of what they're doing there. In that brain training, so to speak, by providing that real-time feedback with slightly more, I guess, aggressive sounds, if your mind is wandering, you're training your brain to get back into that focus state. And so that sounds to me that it's beyond just monitoring and getting a little, a little bit into brain stimulation, which I understand is an approach where you attempt to write the brain and change what your neurons are basically up to. Again, I'm also not a neuroscience. So <laughs> no, it's okay. No, that there is that there is companies out there interesting in in some form of you know cranium stimulation or or vega nerve stimulation and and you know it's not something we do. What we do is completely passive in terms of of monitoring your brain. We have thought about going into that stage and certainly our technology coupled with some sort of stimulation could have some merits. The thing that stopped us going into it at this point is 
I think a lot of people have concerns when when when, when you're measuring people's vital signs in data. That, that, you know, there's a lot of privacy concerns there. There's a lot of anxiety generated by are they measuring what I'm thinking about? Right? Do they know I'm thinking about going for a beer tonight rather than you know going to the gym or or something that? So like like none of that we can do, but. The idea of, of moving into stimulation at this point is just for us one thing one thing too far at this point in the sense that we operate under the FDA General Wellness and Health Canada General Wellness. And I think for moving into that stimulation, you're then getting into a point where you're being more like a medical device. Now, in saying that, this is used successfully to treat things from migraine or help people get into focus. But these are not something that as a company we're focused on at, at this point. Another area I was hoping to get into with you is different types of brain computer interfaces. So one of the more well-known contemporary BCI uh, BCIs is Elon Musk's brain microchip company, Neuralink, which uses a neural implant. Why would someone want to use a physical implant versus a non-invasive sensor? To me, it sounds frankly frightening. Yeah, no, I mean, I love the technology of Elon Musk. The, the, the one thing he has demonstrated is usually 25 to 30 years after it's promised, right? But he, but he does get there, right? I mean, he, he was promising the electric car for many, many years, but it gets there, right? Uh, I think when you have someone like visionary like Elon Musk looking at it, you know, he sees the potential of it. But, you know, where we are now to where we need to be in order to to realize his vision is is decades apart in in my opinion with 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 fundamental raw research that needs to be done to to bridge that gap like the idea of doing surgery on someone to implant electrodes into their brain i mean you 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 really have to have a, a real need in order to go to that type of commitment to do something so if your idea is to play a video game perhaps not Maybe if you're paraplegic, that technology becomes very important and liberating for you. I think when you run a technology company where you've actively got devices out in the field, like Elon Musk is you know, committed to the research. He's not selling anything commercial, but we are selling commercial products. So I think we have a responsibility uh, to, to be realistic about what the technology can deliver. Coming up after the break, more of our stimulating conversation with Derek Luke. So stay right there. You're listening to Disruptors, an RBC podcast. I'm Teresa Doe. In the weeks ahead, Disruptors is launching a special three-part series focused on Canada's net zero transition. In it, we explore our country's various paths to energy and climate security and some of the key implications, both political and economic. From carbon capture to more renewable energy sources, we evaluate the options ahead and explore the important role of Indigenous reconciliation in this transition. The series drops in late April, so be sure to follow Disruptors wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. We're talking with Derek Luke, the CEO of Interaxin, about its flagship product, Muse, and the future potential and constraints for brain-computer interfaces. So how much farther can we push consumer brain technology and what are the other use cases that you've been seeing? In terms of some of the future stuff we're looking at, we've worked with a number of universities that are using our technology and, and you know, are now publishing papers where our technology can be used for 
stroke detection. That's one that we didn't really envisage when we started this out. We've had three papers published with that and in conversation with one company that wants to commercialise our technology for early stroke detection. Uh, the other areas we're seeing it coming out is, is we had a great paper published by uh, the Mayo Clinic where our muse and our protocols help people on, on their journey with breast cancer. Now, we're not curing it, but, you know, it's a disabilitating disease mentally as much as it is physically. And their, their study showed that we help people on that journey dealing with the anxiety of, you know, having cancer and using Muse as an intervention tool to, to deal with that. So, so that was an interesting space that we saw out. Other spaces that we're seeing the technology emerge is VR. Mainly on the medical side, we're about to release our own developer kit for VR, supporting Unreal Engine and Unity as well. Uh, just for developers, uh, there's a lot of stuff moving in, in the VR side where you can start looking at people's responses to certain stimuli. So a great example of that would be maybe you've got acrophobia, right? a fear of spiders. So what we can do is we can detect that level of fear and introduce you to spiders in the VR world. And when we detect that, just at your level of being uncomfortable, we can back the experience off. And you can also use that type of response to do the opposite, right? You could use it to scare the bejesus out of someone because you find out what does scare them and you crank it up. So, so the technology's got lots of places it can go. Our, our view as a company is to focus on meditation, on sleep, and then we're actually developing measures of brain pathology. You've got to remember that EEG studies are normally done on 30 people and it's very expensive and very time-consuming. And here comes along this technology we do it in 5,000 people. And what we found out is we can detect brain aging. We can actually see that brains age as soon as you're born, or in our case, our earliest users have been 16, to right into the older users of 80, we can actually bring out a biomarker of age. So that becomes interesting wouldn't it be cool to understand where do you sit on that curve relative to populations? How can you affect that curve with lifestyle choices by eating healthy, by meditating, by sleeping properly, by avoiding disease? So I think one of the, the most powerful things that EEG can bring is this idea of mass longitudinal studies. Right? We, we, have, we have now 250 million minutes of brain data. And where our first classifier for meditation took us seven years to develop, our sleep classifier took about seven weeks to develop. Because you've got all the data and you've now got these off-the-shelf tools like, like Google TensorFlow that can do the machine learning for you very, very quickly. So I think if, if you're looking at the future, I think the future is going to be less about controlling things, but understanding underlying you know, pathology changes in your brain be it something severe like a stroke or something like aging that happens over a long time, I think that's going to be the true value that our technology brings to the world. Derek, if I can go back uh, a little bit earlier, you mentioned that the reason why Muse isn't in the area of brain stimulation is there's some thorny issues of privacy and user privacy. And so I'm wondering how you navigate that, that question. We're seeing lots of new rules, of course, coming out of Europe, especially as to how tech companies use their customers' data. So what does Muse do or, or what don't you do with that trove of brain data that you're collecting? Yeah, I think that authentic trust relationship with the people that use your technology is paramount. 
to any company now. I think if you lose that, companies will will leave you very quickly. So it's something that we take very seriously. The first part is being authentic about what our technology can help with. So that's the first stage. The second stage is being very open about what we use your data for and where we use your data. So we are compliant with all the standards out there in terms of consumer wearables. We don't allow our technology to be used on children. So you have to be 16 and above because we have definitive views on collecting data from children. But when people are adults, you can then opt in. And so therefore, what we do is before we collect any data, people have to opt in to us collecting that data. And we actually see about a 70% opt-in rate. And we don't hit people with like size font for legalese, right? We, We make it very clear and in very plain English, what we're doing with your data. We do de-identify it. So when we're doing research, we're doing that data on autonomized data. So we don't know the person. As I say, we have a, a number of researchers using our product. Uh, in fact, we can't even keep up with them. The best way for me to find who's using our products for researchers is to Google Muse Research. And you find out things like we're being used for lie detection. I, I didn't know that. You, you know, but again, we respect the academic integrity. So if, I, I, if an academic finds a finding, we won't run ahead and, and publish it. For instance, with Western University making the claim about the 20% improvement in sleep, we had their permission in order to do it. And there's other things we know our technology can do, but we have to, again, be respectful of the data. And in this case, it's owned by the researchers for them to publish it first, and then we'll we'll then use it. So so data privacy and data responsibility goes to your end consumer. It goes to it goes to the legal framework and governance within the country and that you operate. But it also goes into the researchers and the wider community how you how you use that data. Derek, as we move towards close, I'm hoping to pivot slightly. So Canada has world-class universities, research labs, medical institutions. And last year, the Creative Destruction Lab launched its NeuroStream. So this field is picking up steam. And yet what often happens is that we don't end up commercializing our research or don't create enough incentives for innovators and entrepreneurs to scale here. They choose to exit via acquisitions or escape to Silicon Valley and elsewhere to grow. As this field of neurotech continues to develop, what needs to happen for Canada to become a global leader? We are not short of bright companies within Canada and great researchers and great technology leaders and and great founders. So we've got all the ingredients there and we see it all about. I mean, we can see our tech sector is flourishing and growing and the amount of unicorns getting grown in Canada is is growing. But to go to your wider question of how do we create an industry around this, because some of the leading neuroscientists in the world come from centres based on Montreal, for instance, like very deep understanding of, of neuroscience. I think what Creative Destruction Labs are doing is a, a great thing. But right now, we we are the largest supplier of mobile, mobile EEG equipment in the world, without a doubt. And we've created a company that is that is growing, and and you know ninety percent of our products are exported. Canada's ten percent of our market. So I wish I had the answer to that, but I'm encouraged by some of the initiatives. I, I love some of the initiatives around IP in Canada. They've recognised that IP is is very important to us, and there's some government initiatives coming out of that. I'm very encouraged by the the focus on 
you know, not just startups, but companies that are now scaling. We have a great partnership with Mars, where they're focusing on scaling partners beyond 100 million or up to 100 million. So, like, I'm encouraged, but could we do more as a country? Yes, is the answer. I mean, we are the 10th largest economy in the world, right? We, we, are, we are a big country. We're a big player. And neuroscience and brain technology is why wait to be acquired, right? I mean, our own, my own vision is not to be acquired. We'd love to grow this company and it becoming, you know, the next Shopify or the next Wealth Simple where it's based in Canada. And, and, and But the reality is when you've got a big, fairly, you know, 500-pound gorilla, you know, to the south of us, then I think that's the question that we have to get around is, is, is how do we stop our best technologies being acquired when, you know, they're 100 million or even 500 million or a billion, right? How, how do we have a go at creating our own trillion dollar companies? So to, to I sum up, the future has a lot of opportunity and a lot of promise, but with an asterisk. I think the asterisk is owned by the company. I mean, at the end of the day, you have to own your own destiny, either as an individual or, or a company. And I think we are very optimistic. I mean, we're focusing on on our sleep technology, our meditation technology, and you know, brain pathology is a measure of brain health. And then on the other side, we're looking at licensing our technology, where we can do things like stroke detection or or treatment of ADHD or or multiple sclerosis, or you know, there's a lot of interesting things like psychedelics and and VR. So we're taking that dual approach to it. Like we can't be everything to everyone. You, you've, you know, one thing you learn very, very quickly as a CEO, you have to focus and drive down on that focus. Uh, but the raw technology is a very vast platform, and I'm optimistic. I think the next three, we we will grow significantly in in terms of our reach and our capability and the people we employ and the people we help. Well, we're very interested to see the next stage of Muse's growth and all of the exciting use cases that will emerge. Derek, thank you so much for this conversation. It was fascinating. Thank you very much, Teresa. It was my pleasure. Thank you. That conversation really stimulated my brain and it leads me to wonder how much further will technology be embedded in our lives and and bodies it's already a mainstay we spend hours if not the majority of hours plugged into our phones or laptops or devices you know we don't think of ourselves as cyborgs but maybe we are many of us have grown dependent on technology we use it to remember important dates, to turn on our lights, to help us solve our problems, in Muse's case, to help us sleep. And with these BCIs and headsets, technology is really becoming our exoskeleton. A hundred years from now, will we be plugged into the metaverse or the matrix, wearing our headbands and continuously optimizing ourselves with our personal brain trainers? I think we may just be entering an era of superhuman cognition enabled by technology. Well, that's a wrap on this week's episode. Thanks again to our guest, Derek Luke, the CEO of Interaxon. Join us again next week for the latest tech and innovation buzz with our 10-minute take series. Until then, I'm Teresa Doe, and this is Disruptors, an RBC podcast. Talk to you soon. Disruptors, an RBC podcast, is created by the RBC Thought Leadership Group and does not constitute a recommendation for any organization, product, or service. It's produced and recorded by JAR Audio. 
For more Disruptors content, like or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit rbc.com slash disruptors.